Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing Calgary Stampeders linebacker Cameron Judge getting suspended for punching Lucky Whitehead. Taylor Cornelius signing a two-year contract extension with the Edmonton Elks. Dang Evans' remarkable performance in a big win over the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The Alouettes bringing back defensive end Jamal Davis II. And former CFL quarterback Danny O'Brien getting punked by Eli Manning. But first. Cody Fajardo said it hurt to hear fans in Regina booing him and the rest of the offense as the Riders allowed eight sacks in a 26-24 loss to Edmonton, adding, quote, I feel like the whole world is basically against us, close quote. What do we take away from Fajardo's reaction to the boos? So here, here's, here's my, my issue. I, I hate railing on athletes for being open and honest because so often the answers that we get when we, when we get the opportunity to speak to these individuals, players, coaches, whatever in professional sports, right? They speak in cliches and platitudes, and they don't want to say anything interesting because they don't want to run the risk of being criticized for what they have to say. With that said, Cody Fajardo, there's a very simple solution. If you don't want to get booed at home, play better. Very, very simple solution to this problem. That offense was atrocious for almost the entire second half. They got the late field goal. They drove for the touchdown, which was sweet in the last minute of the game, going to Braden Lenius at his first game back at Regina. That was a great drive. But by and large, as a whole, that offense was terrible. They gave up eight sacks. I'm not saying Cody Fajardo was to blame solely for that offense being terrible. The offensive line was atrocious. They got beat on three-man pressure constantly, which is embarrassing. Um, but at the end of the day, we live in a world right now where a lot of people do not have a lot of disposable income. And if somebody is shelling out their hard earned money to come to a game, they have every right to cheer or boo as they see fit. And if you want people to cheer, you got to give them something to cheer about. There's a reason why these things are cliches that you're supposed to say after situations like that and the reason why is because good athletes don't care what the crowd is doing right whether it's cheering for you or against you you're supposed to be focused on the game that's extraneous stuff that you're supposed to tune out the fact that Kogi Fajardo would even comment on this and especially in a way to indicate that it potentially impacted him and his team's performance is astounding to me right you have to acknowledge that fans are allowed to boo. They can do whatever they want, but you have to play your game. And right now, it, it just doesn't look like Cody Fajardo was playing his game in that contest, and he gets thrown off by some of these things that happen off the field, not on uh, with his team while they're playing. I would suggest that he look for something to correct sort of that that aspect to his to his game, right? Uh, we saw Dane Evans, who we'll talk about in a second, have a fantastic performance this week, and he talked about the impact that seeing a sports psychologist had on that performance, how much it helped him sort of refocus how he was approaching the game. I think Cody Fajardo perhaps needs to seek that sort of help out because right now he's being influenced by stuff that a starting quarterback should be ignoring. 
Fajardo should have one focus, and that's to be the best quarterback he can be for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, not look at social media, not pay attention to the booze or anything else in his life. And perhaps outside of being a new dad with welcoming Luca into the world Wednesday morning along with his wife, Laura. Outside of that, pretty simple focuses, right? Don't let anything else get in your way. I definitely agree with you, JC. I think there needs to be more mental conditioning throughout the CFL as a whole, but specifically, I think it could help Fajardo here. And it should be noted, he brought this up on his own. He was not directly asked about being booed. It came out within a longer honest answer from Fajardo and the honesty is appreciated but what this does is it starts to wear away the relationship that Fajardo had with the fans he was hailed as the face of the franchise especially after that 2019 season when he was the West nominee for the most outstanding player award when he had the riders off to that great record in 2019 they hosted the West final of course, we know he hit the upright. The Blue Bombers went on to win the Great Cup in 2019 and then again in 2021. But still, you can't have it both ways. And when these types of situations happen and we seem to get so much feedback on Three Down Nation because we are the definitive source and voice, I believe, across Canada for the CFL in this country because we tell it how it is. People complain to us and say, well, you guys are too critical or we don't like your headlines, or you're always being negative. Let me tell you, we have hyped up the Winnipeg Blue Bombers when they were on a run to almost being an undefeated team. Shouldn't say almost, but started the season on an undefeated run. We've hyped up Winnipeg the last couple of seasons when they won the Grey Cup. We hyped up Fajardo in that first season in 2019 when he burst on the scene after taking over for Zach Hilaris, who took that hit from Simone Lawrence in Game 1. So all that to say... Whether you're a player personnel guy, whether you're a coach, whether you're a player, you and your team control the narrative. Mr. Fajardo, if you don't want to be booed, play better. Throw for touchdowns. Run for touchdowns. Make the offense more productive. Yes, the offensive line needs to play better, but as the quarterback, you are the leader of the team, and especially that offensive group. So I'm sick and tired of hearing from thin-skinned people not understanding that they control the narrative. We're going to get to Dane Evans here in a second. We have been banging on him all season because he was terrible and turning the football over. But we're going to hype him up a little bit because he diced up the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in a way that we haven't seen in a long time. So the athletes control the narrative. That's how it works. It's that simple. Well, and for Jarno, this is also an example. He, he clearly doesn't know the history in Regina. Uh, Zach Kolaris who's probably going to be named MOP for the second consecutive season, was booed as the starting quarterback of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Darian Durant, who won a Grey Cup at home for that team in 2013, was booed by Rider fans. Ron Lancaster, who was the best quarterback in the CFL in the history of the league upon his retirement, got booed by Rider fans in Regina. If those three individuals can get booed, Anybody can get booed in Regina, including Mr. Fajardo, who, as you said, Dunk, had one great season in 2019, was mediocre last year. He's been mediocre this year. Case closed. On that point, I think our contributor, uh, Brendan McGuire, wrote a fantastic article highlighting the difference between some of those 
quarterbacks of the past, namely Darian Durant and Fajardo, in how they've responded to the boos. Because when Darian Durant was booed at home after a win, he simply acknowledged the fact that the fans had the right to boo. They should boo, right? They should let the offense know when they're unhappy with the performance and that it's the player's responsibility to play better. All these same things that we're saying, well, Darian Durant said it after a game, and those are the things you should say as a starting quarterback when you've been booed. Cody Fajardo, to me, tried to deflect blame to uh, say that fans weren't supporting the team well enough. That's just unacceptable to me in the leader of your franchise. Especially when you say that about Ryder Nation, when everybody across Canada knows, whether they want to admit it or not, that it's the biggest fan base of any team in the country. So that's where I think Fajardo needs to be careful here, is that if you're taking essentially a shot at the fans at Ryder Nation, they'll turn on you real quick. We've seen it happen in the past. And I think the other thing that we need to dissect here, guys, is the honesty from Craig Dickinson and saying flat out, the Riders are not very good. Some players have reacted to that quote that we put up on the Three Down Nation Instagram feed and did not seem to like it. But again, we respect the honesty from Dickinson, who has been nothing but honest since taking over the head coach role there in Saskatchewan. But Fajardo alluded to it post-game, and I think this is the most worrisome thing to come out of that loss to the Elks. He feels like the locker room is potentially in danger of becoming fractured. Now, when you're saying that publicly, what actually is going on behind the scenes makes me start to worry about this Riders team overall. I'm not saying there's finger-pointing going on, but when you have the coach saying we're not very good – Defensive players and offensive players disagreeing with that on Instagram and even Dickinson saying that Fajardo needs to play better and it seems like Fajardo is deflecting the blame onto the fans. There are some issues there with the riders that need to get corrected in a hurry if they plan to even make the Great Cup or the playoffs, I should say. Well, and and let's let's get it also straight here. Craig Dickinson is right. I don't care what any player says. You are six and eight. You've lost seven of nine. You just got smoked. Well, not smoked, but you got beaten by a bad team at home. Craig Dickinson is right. You don't like it. Play better. Calgary Stampeders linebacker Cameron Judge was suspended one game for punching Lucky Whitehead on the field following BC's 31-29 overtime win at McMahon Stadium on Saturday. Whitehead admitted to trash talking during the game the judge declined to confirm or deny exactly what was said when addressing the media on Tuesday. A number of Lions, including Whitehead, were seen trying to reach members of the Stampeders in the parking lot after the game, and a verbal altercation took place, though the police prevented it from becoming physical. What do you make of this mess? Um, a mess is absolutely right, and there's tears to this, and I want to address every single tear. First of all, Whatever was being said by Lucky Whitehead, we don't know what was coming out of his mouth. Certainly, it seems like it was derogatory in regards to Cameron Judge's family, specifically a sister who lives out here in the lower mainland, in the in the Vancouver area. Um, I certainly don't condone any comments of that nature, but information on that is vague, so I won't speak on that too much. Cameron Judge's punch was completely unacceptable, and the CFL is right 
to act harshly and to suspend him, right? We cannot have that happening after games, regardless of what is being said. It was a dangerous move by him. Lucky Whitehack actually missed some of the first day of practice as a result. We can't have that happening, especially not to talented, explosive, exciting players in a league that so desperately needs them. It was an unacceptable action. I'm glad the league came down harshly. But on the other side of this, we have not yet seen any response from the league in terms of what happened after that. And to me, that is completely unacceptable. Now, the league usually puts out fines on Wednesday. Maybe we hear something about this today. But it does not look right now, as we're recording this podcast, like there will be any punishment to to the Lions who took their displeasure out to the parking lot trying to get to the Stampeders locker room and started a verbal altercation outside the stadium. I do not care what happened on the field. I do not care what dirty cheap shot it was. I do not care the circumstances. Anytime you take an incident that happened on the field of play and you take it off the field of play that is completely unacceptable in my mind, right? I coach high school kids at a public school, right? I I am well familiar with a road game and trying to herd them like cattle onto a bus to stop something from happening. But even those kids know that that is unacceptable, right? That's a lesson you learn when you're 15 years old and it's hammered into you. For grown adults on a professional football team to do that, regardless of the punch being thrown, is completely and utterly unacceptable. And to me, the CFL has to come down with some sort of punishment, either to the players involved, if they can identify them, or the Lions organization as a whole, to send a message that this can't happen again going forward. Because right now, if there is no punishment, you have sent a, a tacit acceptance that if there's something that happens on the field, right, a Garrett Marino hit, something of that nature, then it's okay for members of that team to go and try and start a fight outside the stadium and that the league will not punish them for it. And yes, this did not turn physical in the parking lot, basically because police just happened to be walking by. Other than that, I'm sure we might have seen punches thrown and we need to send a message right now to prevent the next situation that might become physical. That was a very bad look for the CFL overall. And I hope going forward, there is increased security around the locker rooms to ensure that this doesn't happen again. Yes, it seems like a one-off, but especially with these two teams rematching this week at BC Place, there needs to be an increased presence there to ensure that Either team can't go to the other team's locker room. JC, I agree wholeheartedly with everything you said. I'll second that rant. The CFL, I think, needed to come down harder on what happened after the game in the parking lot. I'm not condoning Cameron Judge punching Lucky Whitehead. And admittedly, we don't know what was said there for Judge to be so upset. But in my mind, it's almost worse for the Lions to go and seek out the Stampeders in their locker room. It's definitely a worse look for the CFL. You can understand Judge being upset in the heat of the moment and in competition, and there are so many things that go on within a football game, some cheap shops often that don't get seen. and We're not sure what was said, but I think after the game, when you've had that opportunity to walk off the field, go into the locker room, and be in there for a little bit, that is plenty of time to calm down. A young child can go to his room after being upset for five or ten minutes, 
and come out and be just fine. That was not the case with the Lions. The CFL, I think, needs to come down hard on what happened after the game because you're arguably in a more present state of mind after that. You're not in competition mode. You've thought this through. You literally thought, hey, we should go over and start at least a verbal altercation with the Stampeders near their locker room. So the CFL needs to make an example of this and beef up security for this week at BC Plays. I agree with all that, boys. The only thing I'll add, just for clarity for our listeners, is this was not an instance where you know play stopped momentarily and Cameron Judge you know had an open hand slap to Lucky Whitehead, which you do see from time to time. Players are supposed to be ejected for that. What happened in this case was the game was over. Lucky Whitehead was at midfield, didn't have his helmet with him, was wearing just a hat. Cameron Judge approached him while still wearing his own helmet and punched Lucky Whitehead in the face. To me, that does make it worse because not only was Judge approaching a player who was essentially defenseless, but he was also wearing his helmet himself as if to protect him in the instance that a fight broke out. That is not a fair fight. Um, and Lucky Whitehead did say to the media, he's just doing an interview with TSN on Tuesday. He did say he considers it assault. He's not going to press charges against Judge or try to do that. Uh, but to me, that does make it different, and it does make it worse than just uh, your average, you know, again, open-handed slap that you might see on the field from time to time. Because punching or or slapping a player who's wearing a football helmet you know, is, is probably going to more, do more damage to the person throwing the slap or the punch than it is the person taking it. That was not the case uh, in this instance. And uh, to me, I honestly think the CFL could have gone to two games with Cameron Judge. Credit Judge for not uh, not uh, uh, challenging the suspension. He said he's not going to, um, to, to ask for a review or appeal it. Uh, so credit him for accepting it. But I think the CFL could have gone even to two games in this situation, given the circumstances. I think it's very wise that Cameron Judge has decided not to appeal it because, as you mentioned, Doug, these two teams play again uh, on Saturday in BC Place. Um, Cameron Judge would not have been uh, the uh, most welcome individual here in Vancouver, certainly not with the Lions. I think it's wise for him to put a little bit of water on this fire, just take the loss uh, in terms of the suspension and let his teammates deal with trying to beat the Lions uh, in the rematch. I hope that this Lions franchise can put this behind them and tend to can act in a better way than what they did after the game in this contest, because if they let this incident roll into this next week, I think it will be an extremely poor look for the franchise and a bad look for a franchise that I think has traditionally been a lot better than this and a coaching staff that has been more disciplined than this as well. So it was an unexpected look for the Lions. I was high, heavily critical of them. I will remain so, but I hope they can put it behind them because I think they are legitimately better than what they showed. The Edmonton Elks signed Taylor Cornelius to a two-year contract extension through the 2024 season, paying him $100,000 in a signing bonus to get him to sign on the dotted line. Does that deal make sense for both sides? It does, but when you add up the total and credit our resident mathematician, Mr. John Hodge, for correcting me on this, for Cornelius to get $300,000 in hard money next season in 2023, 
that's getting close to starter money. It's not guaranteed starter money, but it would be difficult to add in another quarterback into that equation. We've got to remember Trey Ford is on his rookie contract, which is slotted at near minimum salary, just like Nathan Rourke was on entering this year as well. So to me, when you look at that number, the $100,000 is going to go on this year's cap, which is smart for Edmonton. But then the $300,000 in hard money next year, you add that all together, that's $400,000. Now, it's not all in one year, but that is now starter money in the CFL. So it appears as though the Elks are at least content for now. We know Chris Jones is always wanting to bring in competition, and he's probably going to do so at the quarterback position in the offseason. But it looks like they're all right with at least the idea now of going into next season with Cornelius as the starter. He has gotten better from game to game. I think you can see an upward trajectory. All of a sudden, he was running all over the Rough Riders somehow. A couple times shook Mike Adam, and that you don't often see anybody do, let alone a quarterback. And he got out on a big run against Saskatchewan as well, showed off the wheels. But you always thought that Chris Jones was maybe going to want to take a run at Bo Levi Mitchell or go and get a veteran quarterback or maybe a big-time name from the NCAA that didn't catch on in the NFL or a guy that's flamed out in the NFL to come up here. But perhaps Cornelius is the quarterback of at least the near future in Edmonton. That said, we still got to remember, Trey Ford is there, flashed as a Canadian when he got his first start in Hamilton in that comeback win. So I don't think it's necessarily a foregone conclusion that Cornelius is the starter entering 2023 for Edmonton. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, it wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't put it past Chris Jones to make a trade, right. And, and, and deal him away. Uh, by the way, Taylor Cornelius's full contract extension details will be up on the site as of Wednesday afternoon. Um, to me, this does speak volumes about the confidence that Edmonton has in Taylor Cornelius. I still think that they're high on Trey Ford, who they took in the first round of this year's CFL draft. But obviously, as as Dunk laid out, he's not making any money, right? With the slotted contracts that we have in the CFL draft now, you know these are going to be Edmonton's two top quarterbacks right now going into next season. And I'll pay Taylor Cornelius some respect here. You know, revisionist history, or, or, or sometimes we don't always remember things correctly. Travis Lule, when he was first coming up in BC, did not play well. Right, He was called Lullaby Lule on Twitter. I'll never forget that because the offense went to sleep and the crowd went to sleep when he got on the field. And then he shut everybody up in 2011 on route to not only winning MOP, but also winning a Grey Cup. And I believe Grey Cup MVP that season. He got the Triple Crown. Full credit to him. Taylor Cornelius did not play very well in 2021 as a rookie. But that said, he was put in a terrible situation with a subpar coaching staff poor offensive weapons, and a bunch of his starts came at the end of the year when that team was playing on short weeks all the time because of their rescheduled COVID game. So the fact that he's coming this year and he's thrown for nine touchdowns, six picks, run all over the field, and shown genuine signs of improvement, and let's remember his best weapon, Kenny Lawler, is hurt right now, I think deserves credit. And as much as a month ago, right, you might have called the Elks crazy for for making him their future guy, you know, there are genuine signs of improvement and there is precedent, right? I just mentioned Travis Lule for guys figuring it out over the course of a couple of years and not only becoming very good quarterbacks, but becoming MOP type players. Am I saying Cornelius is going to win MOP next year? No, but what I am saying is the trajectory is on the right track 
And I think he deserves this contract extension to maximize and see what he can really do, given more time to develop his skills. Yeah, to that point, had you told me entering this season that there would be a stage where I was somewhat comfortable with Taylor Cornelius being a quarterback of the future for the Edmonton Elks, I would have told you you were absolutely insane, <laughs> right? I, this is not a guy I was very high on, couldn't protect the football. I thought he had a great arm, but really raw, you know, couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. I have been impressed with what he's shown me specifically in the last couple of weeks. He looks much improved. And when you look going forward, yes, there may be some other quarterbacks available, but if you have a choice between Cornelius potentially on an upswing and Bo Levi Mitchell potentially on the downswing of his career, I think that becomes a more complicated choice if you're a franchise. Are you really going to get the best of Bo Levi Mitchell? And now he may have more in the tank. He's shown he's still a capable quarterback, but is the potential for Taylor Cornelius to get better enough that he actually surpasses Bo Levi Mitchell because of the age difference there? I think it's an interesting question. I'm sure various people will have different opinions on it as well. In terms of the financial investment, I think it's worth noting that the Elks are in a similar situation in my mind to what the Alouettes were with Vernon Adams Jr. last season. So they've put this signing bonus in this year's salary cap. doesn't affect next year. That's all base salary, if I'm correct, Hodge. And as a result they may have some wiggle room to bring in another capable guy, uh, you know, a veteran to compete with Cornelius. But really, as we've talked about before on this show, the future of the CFL in quarterbacking has to get younger, has to be finding the next guy. Potentially Trey Ford can be that one, but we know that Chris Jones will be aggressive in finding and scouting another quarterback to bring in this offseason in terms of young guys with potential. If Taylor Cornelius doesn't work out, I don't think that the solution is necessarily a, a, a veteran backup at the tail end of his career or a guy who has just been okay throughout his CFL tenure. It's going to be someone younger. If Taylor Cornelius is not that guy, then... I encourage the Elks to take the leap of faith and search for a guy with high upside in the prospect pool. Hamilton Tiger Cats quarterback Dane Evans threw for a career-high five touchdowns in a stunning 48-31 win over the Bombers. Does this performance give you confidence in Evans moving forward for at least the rest of this season? I'll say this. I loved watching this performance come one week after JC eviscerated Evans on last week's podcast, making him eat his words with knife, fork, spoon, chopstick, turkey baster, you name it. Absolutely lit up JC on those comments. He played brilliantly in that game. The Ticats did an outstanding job of controlling Winnipeg's pass rush. He picked apart that secondary. Admittedly, Winnipeg has some injuries in that secondary right now. Evan Hall made his first career start. At halfback, Jamal Parker's in a field side cornerback. But even said, I mean, Brandon Alexander made his season debut. was supposed to really secure that secondary at the safety spot. And Winnipeg gave up 48 points. I mean, we have not seen that 
in a long, long time. This was really the first time Winnipeg got handily beaten in a meaningful football game since pretty early on in the 2019 season, three calendar years, full credit to Mr. Evans. Not only did he make good decisions with the football throughout the game, but when Winnipeg was starting to mount a comeback, he put forward an eight-minute drive. I think it was 15 plays, 90 yards for the game-saving, game-sealing touchdown. I was extremely impressed with what Mr. Evans did And suddenly, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, given the fact that they play in what is at the end of the day a lousy East Division, all of a sudden have the opportunity to make the postseason and host a playoff game. Let's not forget, they host, or pardon me, they visit the Montreal Alouettes this week, who are only two points ahead of them in the standings. I love it. Congratulations, Mr. Evans. You finally got it together, and fans in Steeltown, I'm sure are excited over the moon about this development. Uh, I don't know about Turkey Baster, but I have never <laughs> been happier to eat my words because the CFL needs good quarterbacks. And I want to see Dane Evans succeed. He has not been very good for long stretches this season, but he was absolutely fabulous in this game. And what I want to give him kudos for is acknowledging the fact that things weren't going right for him this season. We've been critical of some of the comments he's made, some of his mindset, and he went and saw a sports psychologist, as we mentioned earlier in the show, reset his mindset and had success as a result. He talked about it on that game broadcast going from, I have to do this to, I get to do this, to acknowledging that it's a privilege to be a starting quarterback for a professional football team, especially one as storied as the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and to remove some of these obligations that were weighing him down. He played like a guy, he played like a kid, right, who was having fun. He looked like he was having fun out there, and that's ultimately what you want to see from professional athletes, guys who are unhindered by all that extraneous stuff and who are just balling out. I was happy to see Dane Evans prove me wrong because the league is better when he's doing so. This is a perfect example of an athlete controlling the narrative. Evans played poorly for most of the 2022 season, goes out and carves up Winnipeg, and now we're speaking in glowing terms about him, and rightfully so. That performance was unbelievable, and nobody has done that to Winnipeg in a long time, if even ever, during this current two Grey Cup run that the Bombers have been on. Evans threw in rhythm. He looked decisive. He made some tight window throws. Hodge, you mentioned that drive at the end of the ball game. It was a complete performance and one of the best in recent memory from a Tiger Cats quarterback, especially when you consider they're going against the likes of Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat, albeit you noted it, Hodge, some of those new guys in the back end. This was unbelievable. And I don't even think the Tiger Cats can say this is what they expected from Dane Evans because it would be ultra difficult to play at that level, which I will dub now as the Nathan Rourke level of production. (laughs) But if he even plays close to it, then the Tiger Cats can give the Argos a run for that East Division spot in the Grey Cup. And yes, I said the Argos and East Division. I didn't mention the Riders or the crossover because we haven't seen it happen before until it happens, and I'm not even going to talk about it. So if Evans plays close to that level, 
then it's possible. And I love that he took it upon himself to go and talk to a sports psychologist or a mental coach or however you want to phrase it. I'm big on that stuff myself. I read this book by Trevor Moad, who famously worked with Russell Wilson and a bunch of NCAA teams as well, Alabama and Florida State when they won national championships, Georgia as well. And it can literally change you from a mental mindset perspective. And that's very clear that it has helped Evans quickly. Now, he needs to prove that he can continue this. But if he can dice up the Bombers for five touchdowns, imagine what he can do to some of these other East Division teams. (laughs) Well, this was, in my opinion, the most impressive single-game performance in the league this year by any player, with the exception of Nathan Rourke at the very peak of his game to start the year. Um, and, and again, the, the Hamilton Tiger Cats are officially two points out of a playoff spot. And uh, if Dane Evans can keep this up, I can think of uh, about eight other teams that wouldn't want to have to play Hamilton in the postseason because he absolutely put it together. The latest U Sports Top 10 football rankings came out on Tuesday, and they feature two athletic university sports teams on the rankings. Do ballot casters need to look deeper than simply looking at records? I think they do. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying I know both of you guys are going to come out harshly against AUS schools in this segment, and I want to do a little bit of devil's advocate in favor of them here. Ultimately, there is no national crossover play in Canadian university sport until we get to the playoffs. And I have a difficult time sometimes punishing teams on the weakness of their conference when they only get to play the the teams they get to play, right? You can only beat the guys in front of you. So to me, there is a delicate balance that needs to be had in terms of rewarding teams that are solid in the Atlantic University Conference and are having dominant seasons there but may not be as good as some of the other teams in other conferences. Personally, they usually end up at the end of my ballot, and usually I only have one in the top 10. Quite frankly, I find it difficult to justify anymore based on the historical weakness of that conference. It seems to not be the case for other voters, right? They are putting these teams much higher, and that's how they're both ending up in the top 10, But we also need to acknowledge the fact that the voters are not the only ones deciding these rankings, right? There's something called ELO. It's a statistical uh, program that accounts for half of this ranking. And it does not care that the AUS is not strong, right? It has no objective measurement because there's no crossover play to... Uh, prevent against sort of overinflating these weaker Atlantic Conference teams. And so what we see is until we get the playoffs, if you are a strong AUS team, you are going to be moved up the rankings higher than you should be because of that statistical model. Now, on one hand, I think it is good for those programs to get some notoriety, some national attention, because How are we going to improve the AUS if recruits don't want to go there? On the other hand, I completely agree that it is not fair to some of these programs in the Canada West and the OUA who are playing top-tier schools week after week, battling it out in 
tough losses and aren't getting rewarded for their performances. So much to get into here, and I don't want to be banging on the AUS because they have had times where they have been arguably the top conference or the teams in that conference, like St. Mary's when they had their run in the 2000s, were great teams, but they're just not there. So my theory when I rank these teams and put my ballot in is who would beat who on a neutral field head-to-head right now? And ELO, it's too bad, didn't watch the national semifinal last year, the Mitchell Bowl at Western University when the Mustangs (laughs) ran rough shot over St. Francis Xavier with all due respect to the X-Men. That scoreline was out of control by halftime. It was almost 50 to nothing, if I remember right. So that needs to be factored in here. And I think U Sports and the conferences need to take a hard look at either some crossover play or realigning the schools. And I think the academics in those universities needs to understand the importance of football at their institutions and the notoriety that it can give their schools and help out to that end. I think that's the main issue here. But if we're in this current formula, then the AUS, quite frankly, has no business having two schools ranked in the top 10. I'd even have one of those schools ranked in the top 10 because they just haven't shown that they can be competitive on a national level against the top teams in recent national semifinals from any conference. Now, I understand if you get down to the bottom of some conferences, you know, maybe you could argue St. FX could compete with the Yorks of the world and maybe McGill. But I just don't see them competing against, quite frankly, any of the Canada West teams because each week out there it is an absolute battle. Some people will say the OUA has some freebies on the schedule right now, and probably one of those would be York. I guess I'm kind of banging on the lines right now, but it is what it is. <laughs> so I would just like to see the top 10 be a true reflection of the 10 best schools in this year playing football in our country. Let's not just put teams on there because they have a 3-0 and record. I understand ELO's 50% of it, but perhaps we need to look at that too. It needs to be a true reflection because then you're trying to attract fans and people who watch these games are going to start to wonder, well, when one of these nationally ranked AUS teams plays the Canada West this year, and you know it seems like it's going to be the Saskatchewan Huskies that come out of that conference, and they get beat by 50 or 60 or 70 points, What's going on here? They're supposed to be a top 10 ranked team. So I think that's part of the issue as well that people need to take into account when they're casting these ballots. Yeah, power rankings or or top 10 rankings are not standings. If you want standings, look at the standings, right? We get this feedback sometimes on our power rankings at Three Down Nation that we do every week for the CFL. And uh, if you want to look at the standings, go look at the standings. We're talking about you know exactly what Dunk said. That's how I fill out my power rankings ballot each week for the CFL for our personal rankings at three down. Who would win on a neutral field, right? And there's a million things that go into that, including things like injuries, including things like like you know different matchups, positional strengths, all those kinds of things, um, or even just how a team has played in the last week. Look at the Hamilton Tiger Cats two weeks ago. I'm pretty psyched if I'm a defensive coordinator who's who's game planning against Dane Evans. If I had a game plan against Dane Evans today, I'm a little more concerned, right? Those things can change in a heartbeat. Um, something that has not changed in a heartbeat is the AOS, AUS becoming a dominant powerhouse. I'm sorry to say it. It's it's just reality. Uh, I don't think the AUS should have anybody on the top 10 rankings 
That's no disrespect to St. FX. That's no disrespect to Mount Allison, both of whom are off to perfect 3-0 starts. But to me, the time to rank these teams is when they do something come uh, postseason play or interconference play and not before it. Um, that, that's just my personal take. No hate to the AUS, but history is history. And I'm sure someday in the future, we'll be talking about a great AUS again. Just just like Dunk mentioned with St. Mary's, I think winning at least one Vanier Cup in the early 2000s. It's been a while, but, like but it's happened. Two. There you go. Hodges heritage moment, boys. On this day in 1956, Hal Patterson recorded 338 receiving yards in a 56-14 victory over the Hamilton Tiger Cats. This set a new pro football record for single-game receiving yardage that remains unbroken today. The tight end would finish the season with an incredible 1,914 receiving yards. That's an average of 136.7 per game. It was named the league's most outstanding player. The Kansas native spent his 14-year CFL career with Montreal and Hamilton and was named an East Division All-Star 11 times. Patterson was inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame in 1971, and his number 75 was retired by the Alouettes in 2008. He passed away in November 2011 at the age of 79. Boys, I don't know what's crazier, the fact that somebody once went off for 338 yards in a game, or the fact that it happened in 1956. I mean, these guys were barely throwing the football down the field. And this guy, 338 yards, that's unbelievable. Patterson was way ahead of his day, man. He was, and he had Sam the Rifle Echeverry throwing the ball to him. That passing offense for the Alouettes at or, or at that time, it must have been for other teams like watching, I don't know, the, the advent of the internet age. As an old person, you're just like, what? What <laughs> is this? I they're throwing it now? He, he had over, I think, well over 500 yards in that game. He's up there in, in terms of the top passing games all time as well. An incredible, incredible team well ahead of its time. I think if I'm, I, I, I could be wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure that Echeverry also was the Great Cup single game passing record, which will probably never be broken as well. You're probably right, buddy. Let's get to it. The three-minute drill. The Toronto Argonauts have had more injuries this year than any other team in the CFL and still lead the East Division. No excuses out there, franchises, okay? What does this tell you about their season? Well, it tells you that they're they're handling adversity well, and they've got some nice depth on the roster. The Alouettes brought back Jamal Davis II following a stint in the NFL. Will he help their pass rush heading into the final portion of the season? I think he'll help it tremendously. The Alouettes defensive line, to me, has been very underrated throughout the season, but they've been inconsistent. Hopefully, Jamal Davis gives them some consistency. The Saskatchewan Huskies topped the Regina Rams on fo- football weekend in Saskatchewan by a score of 11-10. to 10. Do you still see the Huskies going back to the Vanier Cup, Dunk? I definitely do, but it might not be as easy as some people in Saskatoon think for the Huskies to get back there. And footnote, the Regina Rams are for real. That program has a quarterback now in Noah Pelche. The defense is led by CFL draft pick Ryder Varga, who was selected by the Lions in the draft in May. So the Rams, I think, are going to pose potentially the biggest challenge for the Huskies getting out of that conference. Montreal Alouettes are signing controversial defender Kyrie Zaybert to a one-day contract so he can officially retire as a member of the Birds. How will you remember Mr. Zaybert? 
I don't have anything positive to say about Mr. Bear, so I will pass on the opportunity to comment. Former CFL quarterback Danny O'Brien got punked by Eli Manning in a viral video for ESPN. Did you think that video was funny? It was absolutely hilarious. I loved the line where he, uh, Danny O'Brien asked Eli Manning where he went to high school and, uh, or where he played his high school ball. And Eli Manning said, I was homeschooled. My mom was my teacher and my coach. And he, and he asked him, did you get good grades? He said, no, mama wasn't very good, very smart, but she was a hell of a coach. <laughs> absolutely hilarious. The New Orleans Saints released Canadian offensive lineman Drew Desjardins. Was that a surprise to you? It was a little bit, but offensive line, I don't think, is their issue there. But that said, I would think Desjardins is going to wait out to see if he can catch on with another NFL team. CFL fined seven members of the Stampeders for entering the fan area at Commonwealth Stadium during a celebration. Is that reasonable? Yes, and look, I I don't want to be a party pooper, but at the end of the day, the CFL had a player go into the go into the the, the stands at last year's East final and punch a fan or try to punch a fan. They can't have this in games where players are going into the fan area. They just can't risk it. Chris Jones told TSN's twelve sixty at Edmonton that the team's inability to win at home is inexplicable, given that they are four and four on the road. Will the Elks win a game at Commonwealth Stadium this year? They have to, right? They can't let it go for another year. But I don't know. If I was a begging man, I might take the under. Elks linebacker Trey Watson dig a jersey swap with Green Bay Packers receiver Christian Watson, who also happens to be his younger brother. Did you realize that those two were related? Dude, I did not know. But you know where you find that kind of stuff out? 3downnation.com, baby. Blue Bombers are adding legendary receiver Joe Poplowski to the Ring of Honor at IG Field. Is that a worthy addition? Absolutely. Poplowski, two-time most outstanding Canadian, five-time All-Star. The only real surprise is he wasn't in the Ring of Honor already. The Hamilton Tiger Cats released starting left tackle Travis Vorncall. Does that make sense? I think it makes some sense. Vorncall hasn't been fantastic when he's played this year, and they've got some other prospects on their practice roster that I think they're high on. I think it makes sense to move on from a guy who hasn't been performing. The CFL unveiled a bunch of negotiation list players this past week. Is that a big deal? Not a big deal as it once was because now the CFL is doing it on the regular. It's intriguing, and we can see that by traffic on our site at three down nation most intriguing name to me though one of the canadians catley joseph defensive back for the university of saskatchewan now on ottawa's neglis the red blacks grab a hometown talent that could have a chance to make their roster next year former riders defensive lineman garrett marino says he's signed in the united states football league and has been assigned to the michigan panthers is that a smart signing for the league and panthers I think it's smart for a team who needs a pass rush. I don't think it's smart for the league overall. That's my take. We thank you, as always, for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. We'll see you next Wednesday for another episode. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. 
Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.